Bible reading tonight is coming from 1 John, chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Thank you for the reading, Nikki. That was lovely. So, Christmas is almost here, and thank you for joining us on the first leg of our Christmas quadruple feature. So, this is part one of four, if you're going to come along and um, journey through Christmas Eve Eve, Christmas Eve Kids, Christmas Eve Celebration, I think, the seven o'clock, we'll call it that, and Christmas Day. So, I look forward to seeing you all bright and early on Christmas morning as well. It's going to be fun, but... Yeah, it's my pleasure tonight to get to open the passage for us, and it's great. I always find it very exciting. Having things like Easter Saturday for us as a church, because we have church on Saturday, is really fun. And it's fun to get together as a family over uh, Christmas, especially when it just so happens to line up with the weekend. We get a little bit of extra time with each other, and it's always lovely to get to spend holidays um, as a community. Anyway, my name's Braden. If I haven't met you before, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm very excited to get to open this passage with you guys tonight. Um, we've been moving around quite a bit over Advent, so I'm sure it's a bit disorientating to be like, okay, we're opening 1 John tonight. We've slowly been moving our way through Old Testament minor prophets and their words about the coming Messiah, and we've kind of, I guess, taken the Star Wars approach to storytelling tonight. We've had the prequels, now we're doing the sequels, and we'll get onto the original trilogy tomorrow and on Christmas. It's a bit confusing, it's a bit all over the place. But it is awesome to get to look at how the whole Bible, the Old Testament, points forward to Jesus in the Old Testament, points back to Jesus, the second half of the New Testament. And it's very encouraging to know that it's not just the start of Luke and Matthew that contain the Christmas story, but the whole Bible is about Jesus' ministry, pointing forward to it, pointing back to it. And so we can open nearly any part and look forward to or look back on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So it's very cool, a bit eclectic, but it is fun to get to open 1 John tonight, and that's where we'll be starting. But before I start, are you someone, hands up, I'll get some audience participation before people start falling asleep, hands up if you're someone who just gets excited by just the thought of Christmas. Yeah, we've got some keen beans, not as many as I thought, but it is good. Just the thought, and you're already maybe palms sweaty, you're already getting excited, maybe you can taste the ham in your mouth already. Who is someone who maybe waits for it to get a bit more tangible before they get excited? Maybe after the hot cross buns and Easter go away and the Christmas trees are already up. Maybe you start getting excited then when the carols start playing in Miranda Fair, late April, early March. <laughs> who gets excited then? When the carols start playing, when things start coming out, maybe you put the Christmas tree up in early December, that's when you start getting excited, when things get a bit more real. And the last category, I guess, is who doesn't care about Christmas and can't wait for the test match on Boxing Day? Yeah. 
Boo. They're, they're the Grinches, but they're, they're just as fun. So tonight we'll get to some time, which is really fun, to get to reflect on how the gospel is something that we can just get excited about. It's something that we don't need a big carol service. It's not something that we need to have a big celebration to get excited about. But it's something that just the knowledge of and an understanding of is something that we can get excited about. It's something that's given and known. And that's what sustains us as Christians. And how an understanding of this gift can then lead to action as part of the Christian life. The gospel is something that is real and tangible and enacted and something to be a part of. And then we're going to wrap up tonight by having a quick look at the joy and found in the good news that we've been given. But I'm going to pray before I start, and then we're going to dive into the passage. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for gathering us as your people tonight, especially over this busy Christmas period. I pray that we won't be distracted by the things of this world, work, life, busyness, organising things. pray that tonight we can stop Come to your word with open ears, soft hearts, and as people who are hungry to learn from your word and grow in our knowledge of you. Amen. So as I mentioned, we've been jumping all over the place with Advent, and we jump in tonight at 1 John, so the end of the New Testament. And I think it's probably a little bit helpful to give us some context since we've just shown up here. But the letter of 1 John was written about 60 to 70 years after Jesus' death on the cross. It's probably addressed to the church at Ephesus or some kind of surrounding area of those churches. And I always find it helpful to look for a big summary statement for a book. And John helpfully gives that to us, not in the chapter, not in the verses we read out, but right at the end of the letter in chapter 5, verse 13. John tells us, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Pretty clear statement and really helpful. The purpose behind this letter is to remind the readers that there are big gospel truths. He's just continually smashing out big doctrines, big gospel truths, big things that are essential to the Christian life. And the second thing that he's writing it for is to persuade the people reading this out to stay faithful to these things, to stay faithful to what they know, to what they already believe, And we see that throughout the whole book. So even as Joel read out uh, the verse for the confession, which was just a happy accident, that it was from 1 John. We saw those themes in that verse. We see those themes over the entire book. And we see those themes even just in the first four verses that we're going to look at tonight. It comes up over and over again. And even though we are just looking at the first four verses tonight, it'll be helpful to have your Bible out and looking at them. I found the best way to break this up and the way we're going to look at this tonight is four verses, four sections, if you're a note taker, four headings, okay? Heading one, from the beginning. Heading two, life appeared. Heading three, to have fellowship. And heading four, joy complete. So, starting at the beginning, and hopefully that's where John starts his letter as well. Verse one, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and touched. This is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now, this is kind of a weird sentence. As you read over it, I've kind of mulled over and read it a lot this week. It is a very weird sentence, and it's even probably an even weirder way to start a letter. This letter just gets straight into the action. No dear, 
No, hey, how are you going? No, to whom it may concern. This is the Michael Bay approach to letter writing, straight to the action. No messing around, and John starts with a bang. He says, that which was from the beginning. Reminding us that John's goal here is to remind us of some big truths about the gospel, the big truths about Jesus. And he starts with a very big one, from the beginning. So this is a popular phrase, even in just John's letters, it appears ten times. And if you've been reading the Bible for a little while, maybe your ears prick up when you hear it. Maybe your spidey sense starts to tingle. It's a familiar phrase that points back to a lot of places. The start of John's gospel, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It even takes us back to the very start of the Bible. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We see, um, as we've been looking over the Old Testament prophecies over the last couple of weeks, you might remember we looked at Micah 5. And we see in Micah 5, but to you Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you, are the small, uh, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out, you will, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. We see that even the little um, glimpses of prophecies that we've looked at so far are already being fulfilled here in what John is saying about Jesus. It's a helpful reminder, a big foundation of the Christian um, big uh, foundation of truths for Christians. Jesus was there at the start. He was there at the beginning. He was with God and he was God. And it's maybe a helpful uh, reminder just before Christmas as we're going to read through the Christmas story in the next couple of days that the word of life, Jesus did not merely just come into existence in, Beth- in a stable in Bethlehem. He existed from the beginning with the Father and this was always the plan. We're going to see this over and over again if you move through 1 John. Big truths about God and Jesus over and through and through. And as John's made this big claim from the beginning, he starts to move through proof as well. So he, as we move through the verse, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and touched. Heard, seen, touched. John is really looking to highlight eyewitness testimony here, hands-on experience. And we're going to see first-person plurals pop up all through this passage. There's about 11 in just the first four verses. We, our, and us. 11 times. This helps with the emphasis of proof that John's trying to build as he's making his argument and trying to encourage his readers. But also it points a little bit forward to the fellowship aspect that we're going to look at a little bit later. These people reading, they are eyewitnesses to the gospel. John was too. Eyewitnesses to the physical and historical reality of Jesus' life on earth, pointing to something that hadn't happened that long ago. They're even eyewitnesses to the gospel directly from John. It's an interesting thought to think about hearing the gospel from someone that was there, but that was very much a reality for a lot of the readers. And we see the emphasis for the first verse. This is why it's such a weird sentence, is we don't get the subject until right at the end. All these things, this thing he's been talking about from the beginning, which they've heard and seen and touched, we see is the word of life. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Jesus here is referred to as the word of life by John. And the word is one of um, the favorite names John uses throughout the Bible. John 1.1, 1, 1, John 14, 1 John 1, Revelation 19.13. You can rattle them off and off. 
Jesus is called the Word. And this is because Jesus speaks the words of God with absolute authority. Also, Jesus reveals the message of life and shares it with all those who listen to his word in faith. We see that in John 10.10. Jesus says, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is the word of life. And we see this expand as we move on through point two, life appeared. Verse two, life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. This second verse gives us some more helpful information and helpfully builds upon the first. It's kind of like an explainer for the word of life. What John means when he uses it, and he uses it a couple of times. John talks about the life appearing and eternal life just in the second verse. Jesus, the life appeared. He's talking about the historical events, Jesus' birth, life, resurrection, and other visits after the resurrection that we're going to read about. Historical events that happened, the life appeared. Jesus came into the world. He was incarnate and he was man. And then we see the results of Jesus' ministry. His eternal life proclaimed through the words of Jesus. John also again and again reiterates points of testimony, this time moving from the emphasis to experience and then on to response. They've seen it, they testify to it, and then they proclaim it to you. Seeing leads to testifying, then leads to proclaiming. When you see something, you become a witness to it, you have the knowledge about it. And then maybe you'll go a step further and share it with others. It's like if you see the new Godzilla movie, then you become a witness to how good it is. Okay? And then you become an advocate to how amazing this movie is. And you might even take an opportunity mid-sermon just to talk about it because you've been thinking about it all week. Godzilla minus one is really good. Okay? That's the idea here that we're seeing. It's more than just witnessing or knowing something, these truths. These people are then so moved and excited by that experience, having seen and known, that then we're moved to share it. Makes me think of an aspect of Christmas. I don't know if you have this person in your life. Maybe they're in your immediate circle. Maybe they're in your family. Does anyone here know an overly excited gift giver? Someone who can't even wait the two seconds for you to unwrap the wrapping paper before they need to blurt out and tell you how excited they are that they got you this gift. I think of a few people in my life that can't possibly contain themselves the two seconds that it would take for someone to unwrap it. They already need to spoil it and tell you how good it was and how much thought it was and how they ordered it and it came and it came last minute and it was so perfect and I thought of it ages ago but it only just came and it only just arrived. That person is so excited about the gift that they're giving that they can't even wait you unwrapping it to experience that. It's excitement, it's joy, and it's very, very tangible, isn't it? When someone's that excited about something, it's so hard to contain it. They have the knowledge, they have the testimony of how great their gift is, and they just can't wait to proclaim to you and for you to get excited with what they're excited about. And we see that in 1 John. The excited gift giver who's so keen on the knowledge and testimony that they have that they can't wait to proclaim it to everyone they come across. What's the 
gift on offer in 1 John. We see that over and over again. Life in these verses. Appearing through Jesus, man. But we also see the life then received from Jesus' ministry. And that's life eternal. We see that John and the readers here, the we they were talking about, have seen it, they testify to it, and now they proclaim it to those people around them. And we see, helpfully, in verse 3, John goes on to explain why they are so excited. Why are they so excited? Point 3, verse 3, to have fellowship. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. He again reiterates quickly, we have seen, we have heard, and then he goes on to explain his big why. His big why he's so excited, why he's so keen to share what he has heard, why he's writing this letter, and why we can get excited too. Three verses full of big gospel truths, the beginning, the word, and life. And the excitement of seeing it, testifying and proclaiming it. But why? Why is this something that's worth seeing? Why is it something worth testifying about? And why is it something worth proclaiming and telling other people about? Why is it worth the pages it was written on? We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And even more drastically. And our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. It is through the power of the gospel, through Jesus' death and resurrection, that we can be reconciled with each other. The gospel has the power to bind people together and create fellowship. I don't know if you've experienced this with Christian fellowship, but it's something great that we have, and it's a gift we've been given by God, and that gift is each other. We are not called to be Christians alone, but to gather together. And even better, that this isn't a Hallmark movie. It's not through the Christmas spirit that we all come together. It's not through a big musical number or maybe a child discovering the real meaning of Christmas or an elf. Instead, instead, it is through Jesus, his death and resurrection, that we can have an even bigger and richer understanding of why we can be reconciled with each other. It won't all just end smiling with the movie credits rolling. But instead, God gives us with each other to encourage and bless as we live through the Christian life. And even bigger than this idea of um, reconciliation and fellowship that we have as Christians and believers together, more importantly, John reminds us that we can be reconciled through God. Reconciled to God, sorry. (laughs) Through Jesus. This is the reconciliation that is really important. This is the bridge that we could not build if we didn't have Jesus. And this is the reason we celebrate Christmas as believers of God. It's an awesome reality that we can be reconciled with God through Jesus. For people who believe that Jesus is their Christ and their Saviour, fellowship is available with the Father and the Son. We can have a personal relationship with the Father and this is made possible through the mediation of Jesus. Now, as Christians sitting in the factory in 2023, we can't physically see Jesus. It might be a weird thing to think about if you hadn't thought about it before. Being in relationship with Jesus, being in relationship with God. 
Yet we can see in verse 3 that we do have fellowship with him. We can rejoice because he is always near to us and willing to listen. He's our advocate, as Joel wrote out, who shares our flesh and blood. And he's our brother, Hebrews 2, 11 and 12. And he's our friend, John 15, 14 and 15. So a quick fire summary of where we've gone so far. John has introduced his letter by proclaiming the message that Jesus was from the beginning, always the attended plan, and who is the word of life, gives life through his ministry and through his death, has appeared in flesh so that people witnessed, testified, and now proclaim so that the people reading his letter and the Christians now can have fellowship with each other through Jesus. We can have a reconciled relationship. And we can have fellowship with God, the Father, through the Son, Jesus Christ. We get the results of all these big things in verse 4. It's very short. But we get the results of this, point 4, verse 4. Joy complete. We write this to make our joy complete. It is the greatest joy that the writer can think of to see the believers increase in grace and knowledge of Lord Jesus. John is giving us, the readers, the results of our restored relationships with God and each other. That result is joy. John shares these big gospel truths and he wants them to learn and he wants them to know more and he wants them to believe more. But he also wants to promote joy because that's what these truths lead to in the Christian life. Now, I wouldn't say it's very controversial to say the aim of Christmas is joy. I'd say lots of people who have no interest in Jesus would be more than happy with that answer. Christmas is about joy. It's about bringing people together. It aims to promote joy in good times. It aims to bring people together. Christmas time is about joy and bring joy. It's not a controversial statement to anyone. But John here is not saying our joy comes from Christmas. He's saying it comes from something else, if you believe in Jesus. He's saying joy doesn't come from presents or family or food or presents or paper hats or presents. He's saying the joy instead comes from Jesus. It comes from the truth and knowledge of his gospel. It comes from knowing what Jesus came to do, that he died and he rose so that we can have eternal life in him. Because ultimately, as we look at Christmas and we look around um, tonight, Christmas is a sign that points to Jesus. Just like the sign out the front says Soul Revival Church, that sign isn't Soul Revival Church. It just says that. It just points to the building where we meet. It's a sign. It's not the actual church. Just like that, Christmas is a sign that points to Jesus. Christmas isn't what we celebrate. It's great. I enjoy it very much and get very excited by it. But it's not the reason we celebrate. Christmas is cool, but the only thing that matters, the only thing that makes it matter, is if it's pointing to Jesus. If it's pointing to Jesus' gospel, and if it's pointing to the life that he can provide through that. So the challenge tonight, um, as we go out to dinner and as we um, maybe you journey on through your Christmas period, 
is I would like you guys to think about, and I've been thinking about it a lot this week, does the gospel excite you? Why? Why not? Is it something that just thinking about maybe Jesus or reading the Bible or what it means to you over this Christmas period, is that something that gets you excited? Or maybe is it something else about Christmas that gets you excited? Is it the presents or is it the family? Or maybe it's the big carols or maybe it's getting together with people. Are they the things that get you excited about Christmas? I just would like, uh, it's great to have this time to have uh, fellowship as God's people, but it's also important to recognise and think through what gets our heart excited because that's often will point to where it is really placed, doesn't it? So that's my challenge over Christmas time. And as we move through tonight, you might want to chat about it over dinner. Does the gospel get you excited? Does the message of Jesus coming and dying and being resurrected excite you? Or maybe it's the other things around Christmas or around life that you can't stop thinking about. The gospel is something that we can get excited about. That's what John's writing about. That's what he's trying to communicate. That's why he wrote this letter for us to read and we can get excited about it just thinking through the truths he's given here but through much bigger that it was a plan from the beginning this was always the plan that life appeared through Jesus he came as a man to make us right with God this then means we can have fellowship with each other with God and the people around us unbroken and reconciled And this is what can bring us joy. Immense joy that is found in the good news that we've been given. Joy found in reconciliation. Joy found in love that is only provided through the Father. I'm going to finish in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son into this world to be with us, to bring life. I thank you that through his death we are reconciled with you and with each other. Lord, I just pray as we go about our Christmas time, you can help this to be on our heart, to be something we think through, to be something we live out, and to be something that brings us joy and something that causes us to rejoice over this busy Christmas period. Pray that you can help us spread this joy to each other, spread this joy to people who don't know you, and I pray that you'll keep us all safe over Christmas. Amen.